This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, we've got a, a friend of yours from that fantastic organization, TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program uh, for Survivors of Military Loss, and our good friend Bonnie Carroll is the one that put it all together, right? Absolutely. She's the president and founder. And she served in the Air Force for over 30 years, and her husband, who was also in the Air Force, died um, in a plane. And after she felt like there was nothing for widows out there and widowers and in the military, and so she founded TAPS, and it's an incredible organization. I'm on the advisory board, and our guest today uh, works for TAPS, and we're going to talk to him about sibling loss and about TAPS and what he does there. Oh, fantastic, and, and it's just such an amazing organization. I love, I love getting their newsletter. I'll tell you, anybody who's listening to this show, if you want to get some hope and some energy going around uh, loss and recovery and taking care of people, sign up for their newsletter. I mean, they do the most amazing things. They go all over the place with their families, and it's just an amazing thing they're doing for the military. But Heidi, also, uh, the, our guest today was one of your students at Columbia, right? Well, Stephen is one of my very, very favorite people in the entire world, and he knows this. He is like He's like my son. Um, so what I want to say about Stephen is I met Stephen over 10 years ago at the Compassionate Friends. I think I met him around 2003 at the Compassionate Friends, and... I just loved him. He has given so much to the sibling program, and he's just a, he's just a great person with a incredible energy. And uh, so I met him there, and then one day his mom came up to me at Compassionate Friends and said, you know, I think Stephen might want to be a social worker. Will you talk to him about it since you teach at Columbia? And I said, yes. And so I met Stephen, and I said, Stephen, come and visit my class at Columbia just to see. He was living like, where were you, Stephen, New Hampshire? Yeah. I'm talking with about you without introducing you yet. <laughs> so he was in New Hampshire, and I said, Stephen, I said, Stephen, come to my class. Well, he got in the car, and he drove to my class. Now, he drove from, you know, New Hampshire to, to New York City, and he sat in on the class, and he really liked it, and he said, you know what? I want to apply to Columbia. So he applied to Columbia. He got accepted because, of course, I hand-delivered his application, but he was great on paper. He would have gotten accepted without me. He got into the program. He took a couple of my classes, and when he graduated, um, TAPS had an, a job opening. So I said to him, how would you feel about you know applying for TAPS? And he said, absolutely. And one of my former students was already working there, and now they work together, and they're extremely close. They're best friends. It's, it's a great story. And uh, he's doing great things for TAPS, and they're very fortunate to have him. Yeah, talk about some of the stuff he's doing for TAPS. I will. So uh, as I said, Stephen is a, he's Stephen Stott, and he's a graduate at Columbia University School of Social Work. Uh, he is the counseling coordinator and LGBTQ advocate for the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors of Military Loss, which is TAPS. And he serves on the Diversity Commission for the Compassionate Friends. He dedicates his work to his best friend and sister, Stacy, who died in a car accident in 2002. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Gloria. Hey, Stephen. Before we get started, we got to talk about Stacy. 
yeah, as we get started. She's kind of number one on our hit parade here. So okay. Stacy was your bestest friend. Heidi was telling me you guys were, um, although you're not identical twins, you were cheerleaders they, together. They weren't and, even uh, twins, but they looked they looked alike. I think you and Stacy looked like you could have been twins. Yeah, a lot of people say that. And and how far apart are you in age? Two years? Um, a little over a year and a half. Okay, and like my mom said, you guys were cheerleaders, right? Yeah, she actually started um, cheerleading first, and I started in gymnastics. And then the following year, after she started doing gymnastics, and then I started doing cheerleading, so we did, like, each other's sport. And, and talk to us about um, the night that she died, because I know you guys were some kind of a cheerleading thing, weren't you? Yeah, so she um, was one of the cheerleading instructors for the National Cheerleaders Association, and throughout the summers, they have cheerleading camps, and some of them are larger where they'll have a number of different instructors and about 10 to 15 cheerleading teams, and then they'll have private camps that are usually just one instructor, and they'll have the instructor drive to the place where the team is at and do a three-day weekend um, solo. So my mom um, told my sister that I should go as long as she had someone to go with on the ride because it was about a five to six hour drive from New Hampshire where we were living um, to Maine uh, where the camp was. Wow. And she was driving and fell asleep at the wheel? Yeah. So the the night that we came back, we um, actually had planned to stop at the gas station that was about 45 minutes um, from dropping the car off and, you know, got drinks, got waters because what we were trying to do was wake ourselves up. But um, shortly after we got back into the car, um, we had both fallen asleep. And um, I don't remember too much of it, um, but I do remember waking up and um, hearing the glass shatter. And then from that wow. point, um, I woke up in the hospital. Oh, wow. So, and, and did she die on impact, or was she in the hospital also? No, she died. They said that she died um, instantly. Wow. And you didn't see her, though. You were unconscious. Well, it's it's funny that you asked that because um, there was a person that my mother used to babysit, and he had happened to have pulled over mm-hmm. uh, because of the car accident. And um, oh my gosh. I, was, I was awake but not conscious. So, like, I was up and walking around and talking. Oh, my gosh. But I don't remember that. And my mother wouldn't have known that had she not kind of you know, known the person and, you know, had that connection to be able to get in touch with them and, and hear what he had to say and stuff like that. Wow, that's so um, ironic that he was there. My mom yeah, asked me I something. was wondering when Heidi yeah. was telling me about it, if you had any um, – I know a lot of people have some post-traumatic stress uh, when they've been in the accident mm-hmm. and actually been there. Did you have any of that? I actually didn't, because um, again, like the, I said, the only thing that I actually remember was the car, the glass shattering, and then waking up um, in the hospital. So it wasn't, you know. Yeah. So you didn't have to have any treatment like rapid eye desensitization or anything like that. No. To help with with uh, traumatic uh, memories, because no. um, yeah, I know that that can be a, uh, a huge problem for people. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, can you talk a little, uh, you know, you were saying, Heidi was saying earlier on that you're an LGBTQ advocate. 
for the military and you're involved with Compassionate Friends on the Diversity Commission. Can you tell our audience what those letters stand for in case someone doesn't know? Yeah, definitely. LGBTQ stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. And um, it's something that is near and dear um, to my heart because it is the community um, in which I identify with. I um, identify as a gay man. And um, one of the things that I've struggled with growing up um, kind of revolve around, you know, being gay and having a loss of identity before my sister had died and then, you know, having her die and then also losing that part of my identity and how it interacts with, you know, kind of, you know, as a bereaved person being lost and not knowing, you know, what to do and where to go and, you know, who, who am I as an individual, you know, without my sister Stacy, as well as who am I and is it okay to be me? And that kind of fast forward to now in 2017, working with TAPS, I saw that, you know, um, there hasn't been a lot of work that is done with the LGBTQ community and the, and the military a lot because of um, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And, and that was changed when, Don't Ask, Don't Tell? That was um, repealed in 2011, so it's really only been six years since um, that. Six years. Wow. You're yeah. right on the uh, the cutting-edge cusp of uh, really helping a lot of people who've been out there hurting and had, have had no support, aren't you? Yeah, because not being recognized in the military, you know, we have, as an organization, um, memorandums of agreements with the branches in which when the families get notified, they get told about us. And since Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a part uh, until 2011, a lot of spouses um, kind of were missed because they weren't acknowledged as a spouse. Mm -hmm. So, Stephen, I know it was Don't Ask, Don't Tell until 2011. What is it today? Is it called something? What's it called? Is there a, a word? Like, is it? No, it was just repealed. Don't ask, okay. don't tell was put in place to kind of protect the service members mm -hmm. so that if, you know, if you didn't ask, you didn't tell. And if you didn't tell, then you wouldn't get kicked out. And, if, and, but and when if we they, say don't tell, it was gender differences. It, it was, it was sexual, sexual it? orientation, right? If you were yeah. gay or not. Yeah. So there is a, a bit difference um, between, so LGB is the sexual orientation, whether you identify as a lesbian, uh, gay, or bisexual. And transgender um, is more gender identity, and it has nothing to do with your sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. right. All right. So, uh, so you are busy helping military families. Talk about the programs at TAPS, because they're absolutely amazing. And I would assume they just accept everybody in, and, and they're not... To where I mean, there may be some special issues of gender, yeah. but also I mean, it's you know, it's all the same. We're all in it together in in a way. Anybody right? that's been in the military, right, Stephen? Yeah, yeah. So it's TAPS is phenomenal because it supports um, anyone, regardless of the relationship to the service member that had died, because um, we do immediate family, extended family, friends, battle buddies partners, spouses, significant others. Oh, I didn't know you did that. Them. I didn't know you did battle bodies. I thought it was family. Nope. It's, it, it's open to, to everyone who is grieving um, the death of a service member or veteran. 
Wow. You know, that's really that's really important to me, I say, because one of the things that I saw for many years as a therapist, so I, I was involved with the AIDS project at the University of Rochester, and one of the biggest heartaches was when someone would die and their partner wasn't acknowledged at all, and the family would just close up the house, take all their stuff. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was unbelievable. It was so wrenching. People had been, uh, you know, together. Now, you know, not everyone chooses to marry their partner, and so you yeah. still got, got to have a lot of those issues around there, too. Well, mm-hmm. well, and also the idea of battle buddies, because they become so close. I mean, yep. TAPS has is, is become even more near and dear to my heart now, because now I'm a military mom. And I've only been a military mom since August. Uh, my son joined the ROTC. Then he joined the National Guard. And now he's at Fort Benning in boot camp and infantry training. And, you know, he talks a lot about how close he is to his battle buddies. He said he's never been closer to any guys in his life. Mm-hmm. So, And I can only imagine if you were then shipped overseas to fight in a war, how close you would get. This is just boot camp. Yeah. So, so talk about some of the programs. Do you get to go to on all these uh, events? I, I know the big one is Memorial um, Weekend, right? Yeah. So um, they have the national events, which are Memorial Day weekend, and that's open, um, you know, to all of our survivors. And then we do have a specific national event that is geared for our suicide loss survivors, just because of the stigma that is associated with suicide loss. Um, that program um, has been uh, pushed by Kim Ruaco, and she is a widow and suicide survivor. And um, yeah, we've had Kim on you know, our show, in fact. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And we've also had Frank Campbell, Doctor Frank. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's so, very involved with suicide survivors there. Yeah, people can Google yeah. it and their names, and uh, or just go to Death by Suicide on uh, OpenToHope.com and listen to some other shows. Mm-hmm. And those are the two so, largest events that we have. And then we have regionals where they're a lot smaller. Um, usually only like two to 300 um, survivors will go and, and do the tracks and uh, get group 101 and be able to share with other survivors and put into groups where their parents and, and siblings and aunts and uncles and the children will have their own good grief camps so, so that they can go and, and do their grief work as well. Stephen, you know what I think that TAPS is phenomenal at doing? and that every organization could learn from, the, working with the kids. Oh, without a doubt. Oh, my gosh. Is that amazing? Talk to us about uh, the, the grief camp and the peer-to-peer support. So they have, uh, we have good grief camps where we will match each children with someone who is either active duty or recently separated from the military. So it kind of gives them that connection where um, a lot of the children do tend to have lost a parent. So it kind of gives them that reassurance that, you know, they're still loved and cared for and then they get the ability to, you know, be with another service member who can kind of almost represent, you know, their mother or father. That's what the amazing thing is, Stephen. You watch these guys, you know, carrying around these kids on their shoulders and and these kids that have lost parents are now Mm -hmm. being, you know, matched up with a military guy. It's very cool to watch. It's it's amazing that program and alexander's going to be a peer leader this year at taps i'm excited for that well i wanted to also uh, talk a little bit about the compassionate friends because that's where you uh, met heidi 
And yeah. I I wanted to um, ask you what what do you see as different between compassionate friends and taps and mm, I like that question uh, a little different because um, well there's kind of more of an expert uh, people presenting at taps or you know counselors or whatever whereas compassionate friends is peer to peer yeah right? yeah how is it different yeah I think one of the things um, that separates the two is that taps really does um, open up their uh, grief and loss support to to anyone, and um, and then TCF, the Compassionate Friends, is for mainly for the surviving parents, siblings, and grandparents, which um, is phenomenal in its own right. But then, from from my perspective, it still kind of misses you know aunts and uncles and cousins and, and significant others. Um, but you know, without the Compassionate Friends, I wouldn't have met Heidi, and without meeting Heidi, I probably wouldn't be at Taps right now doing the work that I do, and an awesome organization that is very supportive and um, there for, for me, both in my grief and in my work to advocate for the LGBTQ community. Yeah, I wondered what you thought about the peer-to-peer support, because you're a professional counselor, and uh, what do you think about peer-to-peer support? I think it's I think it's great, um, mainly because... Um, for my own even research when I was looking up what TCF was when I first, or before I first started going there, is um, that when a surviving mother was speaking with, I believe, a chaplain, um, he found how powerful it was for her to speak with another bereaved mom because there was a connection there that he couldn't build. And as a social worker, I kind of understand the, you know, building the rapport with the person to make them feel comfortable to, you know, share their deepest, darkest secrets. Um, And that doesn't have to be done in peer support. When you go to a place where everyone is bereaved, they kind of already know what you're going through because they've Mm -hmm. had their own experience and their own pain. And through that, you know, we can skip having to talk about, you know, the death and, and talk more about the life, who we lost and who they were, and, you know, bring a little bit of happiness back into our life, even though sometimes it's hard to do that. One of the things, too, I love about Compassionate Friends is that anybody can go and serve. I mean, when you're ready, yeah, you can go and you can take part in your chapter, and, you know, you can find out if there's a chapter in your area. After 18 months, you can set up your own chapter. There's over 700 chapters in the United yeah. States. So there's an opportunity for service. One of the things I think we've found is that when you're ready to move out and do service, uh, it becomes very healing because nobody likes to be a victim. And Mm -hmm. you get to go out and give service. But you said something which I think is really key, and that is a pastor suggested or a minister suggested that this woman go to Compassionate Friends. That's one thing I want to say. If you can go to counseling, you can have a counselor and still go to Compassionate Friends. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and you and also uh, TAPS, the same thing. I mean, you don't have to it, one size fits all kind of thing. I mean, you can mm-hmm. do, you can mix it all up. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you um, both. Uh, that's what I love about it. A lot of my clients in my private practice also go to Compassionate Friends, and and they can go to TAPS, like you said. It's you don't have to decide which one you're going to do. Um, well, Stephen, I want to I want to thank you for everything you're doing. You you are doing so many things in so many different places right now, and I love that you have made it a mission to increase diversity in both TAPS and Compassionate Friends. 
because diversity comes in many shapes and forms, as you know, and and we we need to let everybody know that any that these organizations are for anyone that's had a loss. Like you said, compassionate friends, it's a sibling, um, a child or a grandchild, and it taps it's it's any kind of loss as long as it's military related. Correct. So I, I love what you're doing, and I love your heart and soul. And and to 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 know Stephen is to love Stephen. I've got to tell you, that's what I that's what cracks me up because everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know Stephen? We love Stephen. I said, I know. Get in line. So. Hey Stephen, are you going to be at Compassionate Friends in Orlando, Florida, in July? Yes, I am. It's only about an hour and a half away from me. Fantastic. Well, I'll be there, and we hope that you will be there, too. Right, Hyde? You can go to uh, the Compassionate Friends. Stephen will be there, and I bet Stephen is getting uh, wrangled into helping with this whole this conference. <laughs> and if he's not, let me know, Stephen, and I'll make sure that that happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you, Stephen. It was great having you on today, and I'll see you soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, Stephen. See you in Orlando. Well, Heidi, great show. Uh, Stephen's amazing. I, you know, uh, for a gay guy uh, who's lost a sister and, you know, there's just a lot of turmoil in those whole worlds. And for him to use that as a building block and a strength to help other people is really awesome. Well, that's that was one thing we kind of didn't get to in the show, but he told his sister, he came out to his sister right before she died. And she was very, very open, and it was the first person he had come out to, and then she died, so that was a difficult thing. But what I love about Stephen is he's transparent. He he talks openly about his about who he is, his identity, and his struggles. And I know that in doing that, he's saving lives every day. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you all for listening to this show. And Heidi, and I hope that you will tell other people about our shows and about our website, opentohope.com, because we have hundreds of shows. We have fantastic YouTubes. We have articles, all sorts of things going on to help you on your grief journey. And we also want to remind you always, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours till you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, Others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.